Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We'll start uh, reading with verse 17. Our verses this morning are are really interesting verses. They are are complicated. Uh, When we think about like Christ and and the Old Testament and how it relates to the New Testament and how Israel uh, relates to the church, how Old Testament law relates to who we are now as the church, it's, it's complicated. But at the same time, there's also, man, just powerful dynamite in this text. When we, when we see that, that Christ is the one who fulfilled the Old Testament and, and did so much, uh, and, and, and just that watershed moment of His coming that, that, the, that the Old Testament pointed to and that the New Testament points back to that, that glorious moment of, of all that Christ did in His life and in His death. So starting with verse 17, it says this. Do not, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless, you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray one more moment. God, Help us this morning to see all that Christ has done for us in fulfilling the Old Testament law. Help us to see how important uh, the law is, how important the Old Testament is. Draw us uh, to your word uh, and to Christ this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this morning we want to look at not only just how Jesus upholds the Old Testament law, but how he actually fulfills it. The first thing I want you to notice is that Christ validates the law. Christ validates uh, the Old Testament with His allegiance. And so we need to ask ourselves, why in the world would Jesus feel the need to do this in the first place? Like, like why in the world would, would Jesus, the Son of God, have to feel that He would need to discuss His relationship with to the law and something you need to understand is that that jesus is about to spend the rest of chapter five talking about moral law and so so he felt like it was important to 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 speak of how he relates the law and 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 here is here's what we need to understand we have misconceptions of the scribes and pharisees like in our mind when we think of them like we see them with pitchforks maybe horns coming out of their their head like like, these are evil men. These are like the men that always stood in opposition to our Lord. And this, these are actually the men that were involved in the plot to kill Jesus. These are bad men. But of this day, at, at the, especially at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this would not have been the case. The common man of Israel would have probably more than likely adored the scribes and Pharisees, would have at least had great respect for them because these are the men who handle the word of god 
And while we tend to, to, to paint broad brushes that they were all evil people, I mean, we know at least Nicodemus was, seemed to be a great man who was a Pharisee, who was, who was looking for the truth, who wanted to, to know God. And so the reality is, is that, you know, kind of like we look at Washington, we say, man, everything's wrong with Washington. But we would all admit that there's good people there. In the same way, while we would say, man, Pharisees, scribes are evil, uh, the, the, the people of the day would, would actually probably have a lot of respect for those institutions and, and, and would have, man, just admired them. But what had happened, you see, is that what the, the people had not, did not know is that the scribes and Pharisees had not done a good job at handling God's law. Because right there, what you have in, in all the teachings of, of the Pharisees and the scribes, you have, first of all, God's good law, like, like the law as it is, as it should be, as Jesus is about to talk about how, his, his, how the, 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 the intent of the law. And then you're going to have, in that, in that same jumbled mess, you're going to have misinterpretations of the good law, where maybe the good law was taken and it was just kind of twisted. You're also going to have teachings that, man, they just slum, just, just, just added, just, just added on top of the good law of God, and just said, "Hey, these are things we think would be great too." And so it was all this jumbled mess of, 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 of the good stuff, the misinterpreted good stuff, and then the added stuff. And and most people of the day thought, man, this is the law of God. And so it's not, it's not. It's, it's understandable that Jesus would feel the need to defend himself because here comes Jesus. A man not raised up in the schools of theology of the day of the Pharisees and scribes, but a man who, who was raised up in his dad's shop. A man that, that had no theological training where everyone would go, well, he knows what he's talking about. No, they would have said, What's this guy doing? Who does this guy think he is messing with God's law? Who does he think he is? Is he coming to to tear down God's law? And so this is why before Jesus talks about the law and some misinterpretations of it, he wants to say at the get-go, man, not, not not a bit of the law am I here to destroy or to take down. On the contrary, I am here to fulfill the law. We see that Christ validated the law by living under its various forms. When we speak of the laws revealed in the Old Testament, it is important that we we draw the distinction of the laws. Now, to the Jew, this probably would not have been a distinction they would have made. For them, their civil law, their, their moral law, their ceremonial law, Man, it was just it. It was the law of God. But for us to understand the church in its relation to the Old Testament, we must understand the different types of law. We have the moral law. and This would be the Ten Commandments, or as Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments, love God with your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We have the ceremonial law. We have... Uh, the instructions regarding the temple, the various festivals that Israel was to observe, and of course that sacrificial system of, of, how, you, uh, of how you sacrifice animals. 
And then you would have the civil law, laws that govern the nation of Israel. Like, like America has a constitution because we are a nation, a nation of laws. And we have a justice system and we have a certain way that that justice system is supposed to work. Israel was a nation state. It was a nation state, just like we are, that had civil laws. It just so happens that those civil laws were created by God, were written for them for their purposes as the nation of Israel. And we see that Christ validates its permanence. He, he, he validates the permanence of the law. Jesus says that not one iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Accomplished. Uh, those are the small, I mean, that would have been like our period or our little apostrophe, that just the smallest letter of the law, God, uh, Jesus says, man, it will not pass away until it's accomplished. And yet we know that much has con- can change concerning us and the law. There are laws that, that we seem to have cast aside that were important to Israel in the Old Testament. So, so how does that work? What, what gives there? Well, first we, we need to understand the moral law is binding. Okay, and we're going to talk about this in a few moments. We're not going to spend much time here. It is still binding. Christ lived according to the moral law and the commands of the moral law. And we see time and time again in the New Testament that the church is called to live according to the moral laws of God. And next we see the ceremonial law. The ceremonial laws have never been cast aside. No, they have been fulfilled in Christ. Christ uh, was what the ceremonial law of Israel had pointed to, and therefore the ceremonial law in its time had fulfilled its purpose. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment as well. Civil law uh, is something that I think confuses us most. This, uh, there are laws of punishment, of how to handle uh, unruly people, like stoning, there are dietary restrictions that are made. Um, there are commands even about what kind of fabric you're wearing on your body and, and whether or not you wear blended fabric. So to understand what happened in those laws, we simply need to understand the nature of the church versus the nature of Israel. While Jesus respected the civil law in His earthly ministry, of Israel, Jesus did definitely have a Jews first kind of approach when he walked this earth, although he alluded definitely to the nations and the fact that this was going to branch out. He, he definitely honored that civil law of God of, for Israel. But Jesus alluded to a change that was coming in Matthew 21, 43. It says this, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God, he's talking to Jews Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to, peop- to a people producing its fruits. And so we have this change that's going to happen where it's no longer the kingdom of God resting on a nation, but it is a, the kingdom of God resting on a people scattered throughout all the nations. And so while Israel had a civil law because they were a nation in and of themselves, a political group of people, a body, 
we know that the church is a body that's that's spread throughout the world and is under all kinds of different civil authorities. The civil laws of the nation of Israel have accomplished their purpose and and it's a dangerous thing when we when we when we bring those laws over into the church. Because what happens a lot of times is we pick the laws, like we the things that we like, we, we pull it over and we may you know, I, I like my blended fabric, so I'm going to leave that in the Old Testament. And, and, and we can't do that. An example, I'll give you an example from New Testament. In Corinth, there was a man that was charged with uh, incest. And Paul was very clear that, man, this is what was going on. We don't know exactly what was going on. But whatever it was, was bad. Now, Old Testament law would have said, take him out and stone him. But what does Paul say? He says, cast him out of the church so that maybe he'll repent. There was a change there because it's operating under the church and not the Old Testament nation of Israel. And I say all that because it's important because people love to throw this out there to us. People love to say, man, you Christians, you, you know, why aren't y'all stoning people or you know, why aren't y'all doing this? this? The Old Testament says this. And in reality, it's really, it's really not that complicated because in Scripture we, we see time and time again where it kind of lays it out for us that, that Christ fulfilled the ceremonial law, that the moral law is definitely still in play, and that the civil law fulfilled its purpose with a nation, with the nation-state of Israel that... Uh, that the church now is the kingdom of God. It's not the gotcha that they think it is. And I just give you all that to help you uh, try to defend against that. Let's get to the heart of the text. And that is that Christ fulfills the law. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Christ fulfilled the law through fulfilling prophecy. Man, we could stay here for days just talking about the fulfillment of Christ of Old Testament prophecy. We could go to Genesis 3.15 at the very beginning when we failed the immediate promise that, that through the seed of Adam that the serpent would be crushed and how Jesus fulfilled that on the cross. Psalm 22, the, the mind-blowingly accurate prescri- uh, description of the crucifixion. Isaiah 53, the outline of the amazingly accurate outline of Jesus' life. Micah 5:2, the exact and very unlikely place of Christ's birth. But let's let Corinthians one twenty sum it up. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. I love that. Isn't that good? For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. What an amazing summary 
verse that all the promises of the coming Messiah find their yes in Jesus. Jesus is the filling up of all the words written about Him in the Old Testament. There He is in the, in the flesh saying, man, it's me. It's fulfilled in me. Uh, when we look at Mark 1.14, we see the very first words of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus, It says Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in, in the gospel. His first words were, it's fulfilled. The Old Testament, it, it's fulfilled in me. Folks, we need to love the Old Testament. Do not cast the Old Testament aside. They are just as much about Jesus as the New Testament is. We do ourselves a great disservice if we cast them aside. That's why, man, at Wild, we try to preach through books of the Bible, and we try definitely never to ignore the Old Testament for the New, but to take all of God's Scripture and to reveal Christ from it. It's very, very important that we do that. We see that Christ fulfilled the law through filling up the types of the ceremonial law. Christ did not come to cast the ceremonial law aside but to fill it up, to fulfill it, to give it its full revelation in Himself. Colossians 2, 16-17 says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with guards to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance The substance belongs to Christ. The purpose of the ceremonial law was to point to the sacrifice of Christ until that sacrifice was made. It's not that the ceremonial ceremonial law was bad. The ceremonial law was good. Why? Because it pointed to Christ. Christ had fulfilled the shadows of ceremony with the light of His presence. The ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system, what we need to look at is kind of like this. It's like, a, let's say, a, uh, uh, in World War II, a lady over here in the States, a young lady, was writing uh, to her fiancé over on the front lines of the war. And man, every, every day, she's running to the mailbox, man, checking, seeing if one of those letters is there that... That can, so she can, for a moment, as she reads those wonderful words, have the presence of that man that's so far away there with her. And every day it's the same thing. Just go to the mailbox. Yes, there's a letter. Yes, I can, for this moment, feel his presence. Well, what happens when he comes home and they get married? Is she going to be clutching that box of letters every night? No. She's going to be clutching the man. She's going to be enjoying the presence of him. The, the letters are precious. They're beautiful. They're in the closet. And they will be kept by, for, for generations of their family because they're precious. But the real thing was now here. And that's the same way we can look at the, 
at the uh, ceremonial law is that the sacrifices, they were a beautiful thing that pointed to Christ. But once Christ was here, we have the presence of Christ. He is he has done it. He is, he is it, what was we saw through a veil looking through the Old Testament at Christ. We see the veil taken off for Christ has fully been revealed in His life and death. There's probably nothing that signified the, signified the fulfilling of the ceremonial law like the tearing of the temple veil. In Matthew 27, 51 it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. I mean, the holy of holies, I mean, that was the heart of, of, of ceremonial law. I mean, that holy of holies in that temple, and that's where the priest took that blood to the mercy seat and he sprinkled it there for the sins of the people. It was the heart of ceremonial law. And when Christ said, it is finished, at that exact moment, that, that veil ripped in two. Everything had changed. No longer would man come to God through blood of lambs or goats and, or through priests. He would come through the precious blood of Christ. Forty or so years later, the temple would be no more it would be destroyed to me is it is it just coincidence that at the moment that that christianity is rising and spreading across the land that the temple is destroyed i I think that is the design of god because christ had come his gospel was spreading across the nations the what the temple showed uh, in shadow fully there in Christ. And Christ fulfilled the law by being born, living, and dying under the moral law. He was born under the law. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Christ, just like us, was born under the law of God. Possibly nothing speaks to God's approval of His own law more than than Him placing His Son under its authority. Christ was not born to come and destroy the law. He was born under it. He submitted Himself to it in obedience to the Father, saying, Now I'm going to keep it all. And if he had not, if he had not, he would not have been a worthy sacrifice in our place. And we see throughout his life that he lived under the law. That's why even at the moment, even at his trial, they still couldn't find anything wrong with him. They had to rely on trumped-up charges. Because we're told in the Scriptures that He was tempted in every way as we are, yet, different from us, He was without sin. He didn't break God's law. He kept it. He lived it out. And possibly the most important 
thing that He did for us is that He died under the law. We must understand that the central doctrine of the cross. Many will say, oh man, the cross is, man, it's a beautiful picture of a man dying for his enemies. It's to make us love our enemies. Or, you know, it's just meant to break our heart. That God would, would allow His Son to die for us. It just breaks our heart and it gives us all kinds of warm and fuzzy feelings. No, Christ died under the law. Receiving on Himself the wages of the law. The wages of the law the wages of sin is death. And so the central doctrine of the cross is, is Jesus Christ fulfilling the law by taking upon Himself the sins and the punishment for the sins that, that are promised in the law. He takes it upon Himself. As, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, what was happening on the cross was that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was enduring in His own holy body the penalty prescribed by the holy law of God for the sin of man. He wasn't just showing us how to die for our enemies. We were the enemies. If anything that the Sermon of the Mount will expose to us is that we are the enemies of God. That without Him, we have no chance at fulfilling such a law as what He has given to us. If it's not fulfilled through Christ. Christ fulfilled the moral law in His life so that righteousness could be fulfilled in us. And Christ fulfilled the moral law in His death so that punishment would not be fulfilled by us. And, and, and Jesus then gives us commands concerning His law. He, he first says, man, I, I'm, I'm living to fulfill the law. I'm not here to destroy it. And then He gives us some commands uh, about obeying and teaching the law. And it seems here that, that Jesus, the commands that Jesus gives us in verse 19, 20 are, are almost are, are primarily focused on the moral law. You may ask, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus is about to lay out six moral teachings, most of which come straight from the Ten Commandments. All six of these are moral law. And so Jesus is setting the stage for His teaching concerning these moral laws. And what we see here first is that we are not to mess with God's law. Jesus tells us that everyone who relaxes His moral law will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. God's very serious about His moral law. We must not, we dare not, relax His laws. We are never to call what God has called good bad, and we are never to call what God has called good or, or bad good. 
We do not change God's law to make it more appealing to the modern culture, folks. How arrogant can we possibly be to say, God, your moral law, it's outdated. When we look around society and and times are changing, and and so we as the church, we're going to help you out here, and we're going to just tweak a few things. How arrogant can we possibly be to have that kind of relationship with God's law? His moral law, which He says will have permanence until heaven and earth pass away. It's a dangerous thing to fiddle with God's law. You know, what we'll do, what we'll tend to do with God's law is, is man, we'll either turn down the the requirements. That's what the Pharisees we're going to see in these next, uh, these next commands that Jesus is going to talk about. And they kind of turned it down and made it all about the outside. When Jesus said, man, it's about the heart. So what we'll tend to do is we'll tend to relax them until, until man, we're keeping them. And so we become prideful because, hey, I'm keeping God's law. Man, was that not the attitude of the Pharisees? We're keepers of the law. We're doing it right. And, and, and the most dangerous thing about that is not just that we will become prideful, but that we will not be seekers of Christ. That, that we'll think we've got it figured out. We, we're, we're good people keeping God's law, and therefore there's no need for us to pursue our Savior. And That's a dangerous thing. But some of us, instead of turning the, turning the dial down, we'll be like, man, God didn't go far enough. And there's some things that in this world that I don't like that God never mentioned, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in God's law, and so we turn it up. And we kill people with the burden. Jesus talked about the, how the Pharisees did that. They, they taught the teachings of man to be the teachings of God, and so people thought, this is so burdensome. Well, yeah, because not only did you have the good commands of God on your back, you had a, a bunch of men throwing laws on your back as well. And so it's best, folks, not to mess with it. Don't dial down the requirements and don't dial up the requirements, but look at what God has said and obey it. He doesn't need, His law doesn't need our help. He says we are to do and to teach the law. He says whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This brings up a question, Christ fulfilled the moral law. Paul says in Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law. Paul goes so far to say that we as Christians, and he says this in Galatians 2.19, we have died to the law. And yet it seems we're still commanded to keep God's moral law. So like what gives? Like are we dead to the law? Or are we supposed to keep the law it's actually very simple is that when it comes to our salvation our salvation is by grace we do not earn our salvation by keeping the law it's not how it works so when it comes to our standing before god when it comes to his approval 
of whether or not we are righteous or unrighteous, He judges us not on our works on our works of the law, but on whether or not we have a relationship with Jesus Christ who kept the law. And if if that is the case, if we have trusted Christ and His sacrifice, if we have if we have believed upon Him and we know Him, then He has fulfilled the moral law for us when it comes to our standing before God. But, the Scriptures could not be more clear in the fact that when we are Christians, when we become Christians, we will necessarily, we will out of the working of the Spirit in our life, be people who want to keep the law. Will we always get it right? Are all of us 100% keeping the Sermon on the Mount? No, we're not. But we have a desire to. There's been a change in our heart that we, I mean, that's what Paul says. And he says, so we, should we just keep sinning that grace may abound? That was, that was the fear being brought up because of the downplaying of the law. He said, may it never be. How can those who died with Christ, how can we keep on sinning? 2 Corinthians 3.3 says this, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is how we relate to the law of God. The law of God, because of Christ, is no longer a stone tablet that's about to crush us because we deserve it because of the wrath of God. No, that's been taken away if we believe in Christ. Christ has received the punishment for our law-breaking, and so that's no longer the case. But what has happened is, is, is there has been a change in our heart. We've been given... A heart of stone has been taken out. A heart of flesh has been given to us. And we have the law of God is written in our hearts where our desire will be to keep the law of God. And we will feel guilty. And, and our conscience will be pricked when we're not keeping the law of God. So that's the reality. We are absolutely under the law of God. Everyone who dies without Christ will be judged according to the law. So let us be thankful for Christ's fulfilling of the law. That He's now written it on our hearts and not tablets that threaten to crush us. And lastly, we are to be desperate concerning the law. For I tell, verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does this mean? Well, it's, it's an introduction kind of for what's coming. As he begins to set right some misconceptions that the scribes had and Pharisees had that they were keeping the law when they really were not. But Jesus is, is, is speaking to shock them because, as we said in the beginning, the Pharisees and the scribes of the day were not hated people. They were respected people. Everyone would have looked at them and said, 
those are the most righteous among us. And yet Jesus' words here are shocking, would have blown their mind. You mean I have to be more righteous than a scribe and a Pharisee? The reality is they were only concerned about outward appearances of the law. We're going to see that. He's going to hit that time and time again over the next several weeks as we look at this. And what he's going to tell us is, man, it's about the heart and it's and the reality is, is that we're all lawbreakers. The, the Sermon on the Mount isn't meant to be something that we look at and check it off and say, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me. It's to make us look at it and go, oh man! And to make us desperate, saying, I can never be this righteous, and then it sends us to Christ. Christ, I can't be as righteous as those Pharisees. I need you. I need something else. I need, I need you to fulfill a righteousness within me. And then we come back to the Sermon on the Mount as it's written on our hearts and say, now God, help me to apply these truths to my life. So, what's the application today? What are you to take from here? First, I would say, love God's law as much as Jesus did. I mean, do we really love it? Do we really love it like Jesus loved it, where He says, man, I'm here to fulfill it. I don't want to harm a bit of it. I want to honor it are we reading the scriptures are we reading the old testament looking for jesus are we reading the new testament looking back at what christ has done let us be people that love love the word of god second let us be people that obey god's moral law that pursue Christ's likeness, which is the moral law. Let us be people that take it seriously, that, that never use grace as this opportunity to say, it doesn't matter what I do. It does matter what you do. If you're a Christian, it will matter to you what you do with God's moral law. And teach others about God's law. Teach, teach others you come in contact with teach them about what god demands and certainly teach them the only hope in what god demands and that is christ who cleanses us of our wrongdoing and helps us to become keepers of the law so love god's law obey god's law and teach others about god's law and lastly application is this is pursue christ it is only through turning to the one who fulfilled the law that we avoid being crushed by the law. And look, when you read, we, we so often we get to look, we get to our yearly reading programs, and man, we bail out in Leviticus 
Because look at all this stuff. Look at all the washing and, and, and all and, and, this, and the cutting and the blood and, and all of this stuff. It's so outdated when we should be looking at that and going, thank you, Jesus, that just that desperate look of all the washings and washings and, and, and all of this that, that had to be done that pointed to how absolutely separate and holy you are and how dirty I am that Christ has bridged that gap. Thank you, Jesus. So glad that I live as you have fulfilled the law of God for me. And help me to fulfill that law through living for you. What a glorious, this text ought to just make us adore Jesus and what he did by fulfilling the law of God. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. Maybe you're here and you know that you stand condemned under the law because you haven't turned to Christ who has fulfilled the law on your behalf. And please, do not leave this building until you talk to someone about that. About what Christ has done so that you would no longer be crushed by the law. And Christian, let us this morning meditate on the gloriousness of God's law and how we should love it, how we should thank Christ for fulfilling it, how we should pursue Christ, and how we should live according to God's moral law. And let us be moved to teach others all about that as well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, move in our hearts. God, we are lawbreakers. God, Christ was the great law keeper, the law fulfiller. And God, He is our hope. God, help us to pursue Him every day. But God, help us to be true to Your law. Help us not to mess around with Your law. God, move in our hearts as Christians. And God, if there be anyone here, God, move in their hearts if they remained under the penalty of the law. I move in their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.